podcasting from Chico, California, tucked in between some of Northern California's best freshwater fisheries. This is the Barbless Podcast, a podcast about NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries management, and sustainability. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, leave the guys a voice message on the Barbless Podcast hotline, area code 530-636-2523. Also check out http colon slash slash podcast.barbless.co, where you can download past episodes and show notes. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at barbless.co and connect with them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. Fish on. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Barbless Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Hanna. I'm here with uh, Chad Alderson and a couple guests from uh, Sierra Pacific Industries. SPI. SPI. Yep. Uh, Sierra Pacific Industries is based in Anderson, California. Company owns and manages nearly 1.9 million acres in California and Washington, and it's one of the trees. largest land. Well, the owner is one of the largest landowners. 2016 is the, uh, the date that I saw, but maybe he's current. You can, you guys can go into that a little bit more. Definitely. So I'm here with uh, Christy Lamb and Steve Roberts. Did I sp- say that right? Yep, Christy yep. Lamb. Thank you guys for coming in. Appreciate Thanks. it. Welcome. Thank you for having us. So Christy is the community manager for uh, the North Sierra region. Uh, she's here on SBI's behalf to answer questions, kind of a, a business operations, its history, and uh, sustainable practices um, that directly relate to and impacts our streams and rivers. And then Steve is our kind of our local representation. Um, he's in the Sterling District, right? Sterling yeah, City? Yeah, it's based on the old Sterling City Mill. They, they call the district. Even though we're out of Chico, we're called the Sterling District. Awesome. And start, look, so started uh, on the property in 1980, worked for Diamond uh, International, then for Roseburg Resources, and then in 91 started with uh, Sierra Pacific or SBI, um, and is registered professional forester and has written many timber harvest plans, THPs, on the property. Um, awesome. Thank you guys for coming in. We really I, appreciate it. I also read that he um, personally put every single yellow gate on I'm eh, just kidding. I have, well, to, I I have to say, eh, wrong answer. Oh, no. Can't there's, take credit for that. Long, long history, way beyond uh, yeah, we're SPI's gonna, days. We're going to get to that <laughs> in a bit. Well, Christy, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got into SBI. Okay. It actually has been a more recent uh, transition. I am fifth generation to Shasta County. Very cool. So family homesteaded up there, so very wow. familiar with um, with the North State. Yeah. Um, but in um, past years, I had worked for the Department of Defense overseas, um, attended St. Mary's down in Moraga, um, came back up north and went to work for Shasta County for a number of years, and uh, most recently with the city of Reading, with a little bit of um, private sector and financial and PR uh, roles in between. But, um, you know, the position um, serving as a community relations manager is really that perfect blend of coordinating with the communities in which we live and work. Um, So I support SPI throughout our 10 counties up in the North Sierra region. Wow. What a resume. That's impressive. Department of Defense. What did you do at the DOD? <laughs> can you tell us, or you have to kill us after? It. Um, I. I can't go into intense details, but we were located in one of the most beautiful bases in uh, northern Italy, Aviano Air Force Base. Oh, that's so, pretty cool. oh, wow. it was a nuke base and had the ability to support ten thousand military personnel and their their families. So, cool. 
Yeah, great place so to be. So fifth generation fly fisher, right? Do you, do you fish? I do fish. When was the last time I, you went I can't fishing? declare myself as a fly fisher woman. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, it's okay. We'll definitely be rusty, we but I'm, I'm hoping to get back out there this spring, though. Nice. nice. I'd love to. Steve, what about you? Where, how did you get into the industry? Well, I like science. I like to work outside. I saw my dad wearing a suit and tie and commuting three hours a day in the Bay Area. And I go, God, what? I, I'm going to do something different than that. Yeah, that's a smart, smart move. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I looked at the kind of things I liked in forestry, which I really knew nothing about. to kind of piqued my interest. So I ended up going to school at Berkeley, uh, graduated in 1980. And I came up here for what was supposed to be a summer job with Diamond International, uh, cruising timber, which is basically inventory, measuring trees, hiking through the woods. So, Awesome. And from then, uh, you know, through the years, moved up the ranks, uh, became a licensed uh, forester in 96, and then started writing harvest plans for that time Diamond, and then Roseburg Resources after that, and with SPI in 91. So out in the field, uh, mm-hmm. field working in the field every day with uh, the contractors and, you know, getting to see a lot of the property that I manage now. Uh, I, I became the manager in 2013, so working on my fifth year here doing wow. that. Very cool. cool. So that, that combination of them, you know, uh, crew members and biologists and foresters doing incredible work, I get to tell that the privilege of telling that story and relaying all the fantastic um, achievements and projects they are working on and, and so kind of getting that message out to our communities. Well, I want to hear, speaking of that, I want to hear a little bit about some history because, you know, one of the, a real famous float on the Sacramento River in readiness to go from Bonneview down to Anderson, right? A lot Absolutely. of people, a lot of people do it. They're floating down the river and, and everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people are aware when they get to a, um, a certain hole and they look up to the left that there's a, a beautiful house, <laughs> you is. know, and with, uh, Red Emerson, um, the owner of Sirisuk. I would love to hear the story of how he, you know, got got into this industry and acquired all this land um sure and grew it and, you know yes and and the commitment i think to um to keep our beautiful forest lands where they are if not better for generations yeah. to come and and that history started um back in the 1950s mm-hmm. um him and his father curly actually were over in arcata and opened their very first sawmill um so long history over there in humboldt county um transitioned over opened up um mills here and uh the main mill right there in anderson so when you are floating down river yeah down the beautiful sacramento river um it is his beautiful home located on the yeah and then there are mills side. on the right side right going down river yes. yeah oh, okay yeah. now i know yeah. what you're talking about yes yeah. um but truly, the um, company has just grown uh, beyond, I think, their wildest dreams. Right. The uh, family has now four generations working uh, wow. within and um, something to be proud of. But there, you know, we now have over 5,500 crew members um, serving and supporting, you know, us as the, the fourth largest um lumber company in america which is pretty wow. astounding right here in wow. northern california so is he still the third largest landowner in america or so that where's ted turner fit in that i think he, uh, red's ahead of him. i think red's ahead of him now. oh is he really yeah wow yep. i think we I, yeah i believe we're in the second second largest private landowner yeah, it's it's constantly know. fluctuating right. But right. more than <laughs> still anything impressive. do yes. you guys own any uh any property on the mcleod river 
that you could give me a gate to? <laughs> that is Hearst Corporation. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but it is a beautiful area right around Fowler Falls up there. So I don't know if you've been uh, no, uh, I, below those stream, um, those falls, but it's absolutely beautiful no. water. I plan to have be airdropped in there someday. <laughs> <laughs> well, have, your, have your own helicopter to fly in there. Well, we'll see. A drone. I don't want to fly. <laughs> um, and, um, but I can say just kind of a yeah. newer newer um, piece of the um, company's history um, in the making, I should say. Um, but we recently um, purchased and have continued with um, the fifth largest windows and door uh, manufacturing in America. And so um, everyone thinks of Sierra Pacific Industries, yes, for the lumber and, mm. and millwork. Um, but we now have with our doors and windows um, divisions um, right there in Red Bluff um, is the most incredible uh, team. And the work on the website for Sierra Pacific Windows um, is just, it's, it's jaw-dropping. Wow. It's pretty, pretty, pretty nice beautiful. website. When did that start? You know, I wouldn't have the date, but, you know, the story of that is pretty interesting. We, they actually had millwork in, in progress supplying a window company. And they, um, they shut their doors. So we they had all this mill stock with for doors and windows and they had nothing you can do with it. So they decided to buy the company and run it through the system. And it's been a long slog because uh, they weren't windows makers originally. Yeah, right. But, but through uh, you know good management and, and, and dogged determination, the uh, windows is very successful now. That's beautiful, cool. beautiful and the, products. The wood windows are just so oh. a lot of beautiful homes around Lake Tahoe and um, and actually. We're worldwide now, so we've got incredible wow. um, crew members, team members all over the map. That's cool. But, um, I mean, this is Sounds very, like an awesome company local. to work for. It is. Unbelievable. Family yeah. culture. So it's, um, SBI's two biggest industries are, are lumber, and I didn't know about the uh, windows and doors, but lumber and renewable power. So which one is, uh, well, the lumber is obviously the biggest one, right? Definitely. And I would say, you know, the lumber then windows and doors, and then our biomass. So with... So I didn't even know the, about the biomass. You're going to have to Yeah, what's talk that? To us about How are you guys monetizing that, talk, and what is it? That. So that is um, something, um, again, that we're extremely proud of because of our um, commitment to sustainability. Our uh, motto is, you know, that there is no waste. So as you, you know, see the um, large logs, medium logs, small logs go through, and they debark them, and, mm -hmm. you know, they're... Um, getting um, the cuts made, all of the um, residuals are basically oh, converted okay. um, in our seven cogen um, facilities. And so it then is, is producing energy to steam and dry out our lumber for shipping. Mm -hmm. And then because there is so much of it, Obviously, we're, we're very fortunate in that uh, realm um, that there's excess energy that we actually sell to local utilities and power our communities here locally as well. Wow. So I, I drive by them all the time, and you always see sprinklers out on these piles of wood, right, watering them down. Tell, tell the listeners what the, that deal is because I, I, and I know, I think I know, but I'm sure a lot of people drive question. by and go, why? Yeah. yeah why, why are they watering the wood? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the raw logs are, are underwater, and that the reason is, you know, uh, cellulose tree is is perishable. So once it uh, you've cut it down, if you don't keep it moist, it'll crack. Uh, okay. It'll start breaking down. Natural process of breaking down. So the water, you know, they get sucked back into the wood to keep it fresh, and so they keep it under 
either a sprinkler system and the old fashioned way was a log pond where they'd actually roll the logs right. off into a pond and they'd round them up with a little bit. You guys boat. don't get to run on top of them anymore. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. During a hot, hot years up in, um, our area though, we will run through the sprinklers, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so it sounds like it's if you, if you, um, you get roses, which I get roses all the time. Um, and you, you clip them and you put them in, in water. It's the same, right. same yes. thing. Yeah. I, I don't really get roses all the time, but oh. I know. It's kind of sad. Talk to our friends here at the table. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so why is it, um, why is it important to, for SBI to operate uh, the business sustainably like that? I mean, uh, I love the fact that every, nothing sounds like it's wasted. It's kind of like Sierra Nevada, everything, you know, they pull in, they put back even cleaner right. than what they yeah. found. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I think just the, the concept of corporate responsibility is something that may be a new concept to a lot of, a lot of people listening. So can you kind of just as an overarching kind of thing, talk about a little bit and then focus on sp- specifically what you guys are doing for best practices and whatnot? Steve, do you want to pick up or do you want me to kick off? Well, the important sustainability is this this is a corporation, but it's a family-owned business. And uh, the the vision Red had, and this is what he's most proud of now, is like Christine mentioned, four generations. Mm -hmm. And then he has feels that responsibility with all the people who work for him too. This is a business that will and should continue Mm -hmm. through generation, many generations. It's a renewable resource. Uh, trees, you know, they grow. They you can't stop things from growing in the woods. When light hits the ground, the rain, something's going to grow. And so, uh, the the logging practices we have, we replant every every unit we ever log. There's more volume. I mean, you know, number of trees and what it represents. And the district I worked on for now for 38 years, and we've been logging for 38 years. So, wow. Yeah, it, that's it was, an impressive comment. Well, it is because the technology and the science behind what we do has gotten mm-hmm. better through time. So, um, speaking of like the technology and the science, are there, you know, in, in say the rice industry, for example, there's, you know, eugenics programs, j- just bioengineering programs that are set up to, you know, make it so that the, 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 either the strain of rice is more hardy or it grows faster or yields, yields are bigger. Do, is there a similar thing in, in the forestry industry for when you're, when you're replacing, where you guys have done cutting, you've harvested, now you got to backfill plants. Are they, is there anything like that going on to kind of make those, those trees grow faster, become more resilient, all that stuff too? Yeah. I, I like this story because when I, the first years I worked here as a young man, uh, during the fall, we pick cones and, uh, you know, so we're gathering seed from the local mm, site. Mm-hmm. And so that program, and of course my parents were pretty impressed. I went to school for four years <laughs> to climb a tree and pick cones. <laughs> I think it's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, it was fun. But but anyway, so we, we actually grow trees from the same areas we're harvesting in, in the sense. And then during the same period, uh, all the timber companies in Northern California got together as a co-op to share information about just forest genetics. Mm-hmm. Learning more that, yeah, if you have seed from Shastic and plant it in Butte, probably not the best uh, way to right. grow a tree because it's just a little bit different, you know, mm-hmm. have, you know, the, the weather's different, everything else, soils are different. So in a sense, we've uh, gone through and identified trees in a stand of trees. You'd look up and they're, they're all pretty uniform in size, but there's a couple of taller ones. Mm-hmm. Let's pick those cones. Yeah. So it, it, it's just, uh, it's kind of like a, a salmon in a hatchery. They're going to grab so the biggest, b- baddest one. There's not, you, you guys aren't say, Stimulant. Going down to the the genetic level, but it's mostly eugenics. 
yeah, more program. or less picking the best of the best we can yeah. from from a forester's perspective. What looks yeah. a fast grower, a healthy tree, and try to pass those genes on. And, and there's many selections, and there has been because it takes time, a long right. time to grow out progeny of these trees and cull through the ones that we don't think and then cross more. Mm-hmm. And so we've developed our own seed orchards, which so I no longer oh, have to climb a tree or the, <laughs> the guy who's 25 doesn't have to climb a tree. And so now we have those genetics outplanted in sterile inf- uh, areas so they wouldn't get in pollen from other trees and we grow our own uh, cones and we can pick them with a cherry picker. How does our, our stock around here compare to worldwide forestry stocks it's, it's, it's funny you say that because i was just going to comment about like uh, new zealand's um, yeah. lumber industry and i heard a co- fastest growing trees in the world or something like that um do you know much well i mean i, I can't comment on the world but right. you, you know growing a tree is really mostly a function of soil and, and climate right you right. know and you go to washington where we have mills and, and property up there too you know the trees are all droopy because they don't stop growing you don't get this oh whoa. like in the sierra nevadas you know the tree actually grows from a period between late May and then end of June and shuts off mm-hmm. because of the, uh, the temperatures. It's adapted to the climate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but you know, so we are blessed here actually more, really lo- usually a lot of rain and, and real nice soil. Mm-hmm. So that's and, and just a little sunshine. And we have lots of sunshine. So, yeah. so that, that, that's, uh, probably a big factor too. And, uh, you know, yeah. the, the nice looking trees and the fast growing trees. And an example, that's like uh, tall trees in the redwoods, you know, right. three of the five tallest trees. I don't know if that's the world or the America. I don't know. Probably which, the world. Right. Yeah. Um, but just in that one little area, micro right? microclimate. Yep. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. And I think too, you know, on the note of, um, replanting, I know that there's a, uh, dedication to those native trees, plants, even down to the, the grasses and shrubbery. I mean, um, in areas where we'll work, you know, the, the harvest plans mm-hmm. will, you know, outline specifically what types of trees, what types of, um, you know, planting is going to take place and it's ratio of three to one. Well, you know, the, we plant what's usually there when we, we harvest. Of course, the Sierras don't look anything like they did before we all got here, you know, before the, when the European settlers came in, it's changed a lot. But, uh, you know, there's fall five species uh, in Sierra Nevadas here. This is Sierra Cascades. I should straighten that out. We have the transition of the Cascades and the Sierra Mountains coming together right here, which is pretty unique, too. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, the Ponrosa pine, sugar pine, Douglas fir, white fir, incense cedar. And those are the three species you'll see in the woods, and that's what we plant. Okay, very cool. I've got well, one more question. So I've often made you know, uh, an analogy to, you know, we, we had a high water event last year. Right. And, and I've said that I've said, I, th- I think a few times on the podcast, like the high water events are actually good for the good for the watershed. Cause it's kind of like fire ecology, you know, it just kind of clears things out. Do you guys manage any of any of the stuff that you own with, with fire? And, and if, if so, why is, why is that a, what's beneficial about using fire or forest fires in general? Uh, it, Cause California is very, anti-forest fires you know for for obvious reasons but for the ecology of the forest i've read that it's actually a good thing yeah, um uh my opinion because i've seen a lot of uh, control burns that yeah. that get come out of control 
And I've seen a lot of wildfire. Fire, yeah, has a is a very important part of the ecosystem. You know, it's always been here with lightning and, and even the Native Americans, you know, burning as the fall and they leave the mountains used to burn. It, oh, wow. it, because it would flush up grasses and, and make other brush stronger. They make baskets out of it and make mm. the mushrooms and the acorns healthier. By I've never heard pest. that. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's now, they're tending the garden, basically. Yeah. So, uh, so fire, important part of the ecosystem. Then, you know, came, you know, we, we had a good idea to keep the fire out of the forest. Well, it, it you know, it has caused an imbalance of mm-hmm. what's growing out there now. A lot more stems per acre than there ever was. The, the forest used to be pretty open. open. You, even I talked to some of the old timers from Sterling. When I first got there, when they went hunting, they could see a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but keeping the fire out and logging, it, it still made a seed bed and trees did grow, but a lot of... Not invasives, but a lot of brush took over in a lot of areas. So mm-hmm. now to get get to the point of burning, I, I, my opinion is that it's just not in the condition to do a lot of burning in a lot of areas. You have to pre-treat the areas. So w- when I hear people talking about burning thousands of acres and management burn, I, I'm kind of skeptical to the point that the, if it's thousand acres of area, they've already done some veg management with you know saws and taking stuff and removing the ladder fuels and doing some opening be, and reducing fuels, put them on the ground before they burn. Uh, then I'll listen a little more. But okay, so when when you said they they need to treat the area, that's specifically what you're talking about. Yeah, and so kind of, okay. So when we we do burns, uh, we do it in conjunction with CDF Cal Fire. Uh, we enter an agreement with them, um, so because they'll have engines and and the expertise to put them out. Because mm-hmm. like I said, once you let the genie out of the bottle, and you put fire in the ground. It's uh, even if you have prescription for the weather and the, the fuel moisture is right. It's still there's a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. So we feel more comfortable burning with them. So we do a lot of burning in our fuel breaks to keep the fuels maintained once we open the stand up for for a place for CDF to fight a fire and that kind of a field break the, the back burn and hmm. have their engines parked and be safe. I bet those Native Americans burn burn for all, both the things you said, but also uh, the big bucks it would come back into the, the area. Food. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and a lot of um, – we go we go fishing on the coast or anywhere. Um, we always we see places that are being logged all the time. And I know, you know, some rivers have been, some rivers have been hit a little bit harder as far as, uh, the erosion and, and things that go on from logging and, and whatnot. Can you talk to us about, about that a little bit and just, you know, yeah, the, the coast is, practice. a yeah, the coast is, a uh, gets more moisture, more intense storms. Plus the soils yeah. are different. Yeah. A lot more slide prone hillsides. Right. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, I never worked there, so I can't speak as an expert of what happens there. Soils here are a little more, sta- a lot more stable, actually. Deep so deep soils that don't separate. Usually, a slide will happen when you'll have one soil on top of another uh, soil, like even on top of rock. When it gets saturated, mm-hmm. it just it just gravity mm-hmm. goes. And so, if you remove a lot of trees on that, then you're getting more of the water's not getting sucked up into the tree. So you'll that kind of could cause slides. And now, on our property. We uh, manage that kind of thing by just uh, keeping our units small. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we actually leave a lot of the material that we normally we used to kind of clean up. We leave it on the ground now. So you'll have stuff that intercepts rain. It'll, it'll redirect any kind of water that might be moving down the hill and break its power, energy dissipation more or less. It doesn't allow it to you know, cause a rut that can get bigger and bigger. And you've mm-hmm. all seen you know, a road with a rut yeah. in it and after a bad rain oh, season. Yeah. It gets pretty deep and wide. 
So, and then in there, the areas where there's disturbed soil, we'll just basically build check dams. We call right. them water bars, but they'll right. dissipate the water again, move it in and out. So you don't get water traveling a long distance and gathering power. Gotcha. Yeah. So are there, are there in-house biologists that do that for you guys that kind of monitor and go over all that or? So there's <coughs> very, um, you know, in the process, I mean, from the very beginning through the end, I mean, I think that's um, part of why we, you know, um, embrace these experts so very much is because of within each of these timber harvest plans, mm-hmm. as we call them, THPs, mm-hmm. you'll find that um, erosion specifically is mitigated and specifically, you know, follows California state forest practice rules. Right. So where we, you know, are out there and the early stages, seeing what will need to be done, you know, ways, um, as he just mentioned, um, that we can help from, you know, any potential, you know, impact to, um, to waterways, but really, um, we ensure that, you know, that sediment, we are doing everything in our power to ensure that that sediment's not, um, impacting and that all the streams are protected mm-hmm. from the harvesting activities. Do you, do you guys know roughly budget wise on an acre basis, um, you know, ratio of labor to say um, environmental impact or work what that budget looks like roughly well it's all you know predicated of course we need we harvest the timber to get to the mill for raw season mm-hmm. resources but the, all everything else is mitigations to the things that happened in the past uh, you know a little history about california they you know which they had no forest practice rules or, or right, act. Right. And so there, yeah. there's a lot of things that have. So you're dealing with baggage, from mismanagement baggage well, in you, today. I, I always also. think when you look at the past, what did they know? You know, what history, right. what science mm-hmm. did they have? Yeah. What practices? So when you're hauling a log up with a, a, a actual oxen, you're going to go up the drainage because it's less resistance or down, excuse me, down. So you're using the least resistant path. And it is as technology and power. You know, horsepower came in. They started doing different things. So, getting back to the the rules, there were some practices that were pretty destructive. Sure, on the coast especially. Yep. Um, so the California came up with uh, the Forest Practice Rules, the Forest Practice Act, which we follow. The rules are um, changed every year by the Board of Forestry. So they have a panel. I think it's eight. Mm-hmm. Who, who look at issues that are current now or looking at old rules and see how they're working. So they're constantly trying to tweak them to say, this is working or not working. Mm-hmm. So, so the, Sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. I mean, I'm just saying, so a lot of the things we're describing is is part of the law. You're going to do it. And it gets improved So the law has kind year. of evolved with the lack of best practices and right. then slowly right. and got is it, better. Is it pretty better. standard yeah. nationally or is it? No. No, no. California, if out of anything, and I, I have to give you, the Emerson. You, you live here, you know yeah. that. Yeah. And have right. to give the Emerson some, <laughs> some definite, you know, credit there because they are operating and growing and thriving in a state. It's not a level playing field on a national right. scale. But they have, they work extremely hard to surpass meeting those obligations yeah. and to, you know, showcase our commitment to sustainability. That's cool. Any industry, uh, if you're building a house or whatever you're doing, if if people think you are sloppy or don't have a commitment to doing it right, it's not going to be a, a you know a sustainable right uh, yeah. you know lifestyle. So you know the company does. We follow forest practice acts. Plus we we have policy, which is just too internal to ourselves. What we do, mm-hmm. and when we're logging in with the wildlife, and with uh, uh, we have water quality uh, issues too. We we monitor stuff like that. So we've we built in these uh, support staff more or less. I and mean, you look at the Forest Service. You walk into their office; they have 
maniologists there. <laughs> <laughs> and it, everybody's separate and doing their own thing. We, we coordinate and talk every day in my office between the biologist, uh, the, the botanists, all the people who are doing the support work so us, so us foresters can put together our forest mm-hmm. plan. That was going to be one of my questions from a state and federal standpoint, who you work with closely on, on that. Well, on the state level, yeah, the lead agency is CAL FIRE. Mm-hmm. They have a resource forester who's a forest practice inspector. So when we put together a project, uh, they'll review it in the field. And along with him will be uh, a representative from Fish and Wildlife, from Water Quality, Mines and Geology, an archaeologist. And wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a – So they'll, they'll come in, do the initial okay. assessment, and then put specialists on it given whatever the, the situation is. Yeah, so we do this mini – EIR impact report, mm-hmm. and it's especially for for forestry anyway. Separate from CEQA, it's kind of called the functionally equivalent. And so when we get that document prepared with maps and, and studies and the plan of action, what we're going to do, we send it to the review center. So they look at it for a while, then they'll, of course, they'll highlight things they want to look at or question. And then when we do that field review with all those agency representatives, that's stuff we look at. So you just take them somewhere, get them super drunk, and then go out in the field. You know, oh I tell gracious. you what. What, what, what <laughs> Is that I'm, how I'm a, we roll? Yeah, that's afterwards. Just yeah. five shots on the way we, up we, the hill. We celebrate our victories yeah. together with our collaborators. Well, Here's how you build confidence to the people you work with in the state. You let them tell you where they want to go, and we go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and we know exactly where you know the water is. The, the it's the waters in the road. They want to see what our yeah. setbacks are on the creeks proposals for crossings when we do have to cross a creek with a new road or an old road inspect facilities like bridges and culverts and rock dips and the things we do to get keep the water flowing you know cleanly through the passage where we're we're trucking and then again they'll look at the roads again (laughs) i can't emphasize that more right Right. and the and i think the monitoring is all another piece so cdfw which is our you know california department Mm -hmm. of fish and wildlife the monitoring and collaborating with those partner agencies um, is huge and it's ongoing. I mean, I think I was reading in the, in your district alone, um, you know, that we may be monitoring projects at any given time, Oh yes. Uh, you know, 15 to 20 different projects at a time that, you know, were started up to seven years back, right. but that even after the work is done, the work is really not, not done. done. Yeah. Our right. commitment mm-hmm. is still there and we're coming back to monitor and ensure that our plan that we placed and all agreed upon is uh is fulfilled sounds like it's all correlated back to red and his vision and mission statement and being a fourth generation business owner you know he's i don't know it just sounds like it's it's all part of the it is part of the course so the beauty of it it truly is so when um again i'm going to use a farming analogy because i see a lot of parallels Mm -hmm. so and you know when they you have a bunch of acres of land and and you you harvest it let's say you're not using fertilizer on it so you lay let 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 land go fallow for a while and you come back around to it and that's probably what the indians were doing when they were kind of walking off and burning as well i would assume um you guys have a massive amount of acres how long does it take to typically grow um, a, a small tree i don't know is, are they called saplings <laughs> to something you can you can harvest and what what is the you know the full evol- iteration so, on on when you can come back to that one spot after it's fallow fantastic question yeah we we have the scary 100 year plan <laughs> which all that means is we we announce do analysis on the watersheds of the, my district and we figure okay we're going to start here at square one and come back to it 
which is probably in year 80, between 80 mm-hmm. and 100. So those trees will grow to 80 years old. And uh, uh, more harvestable timber, I mean, we, we can cut small trees, and we do that in our plantations to thin them out. So uh, so we do multiple entries. Say, for if we start the fallow field concept and we plant it at, uh, year, right now in May or late April, mm-hmm. uh, we'll let that grow to about five years, six years old, and then we'll go and do a, what they call a pre-commercial thin. State law requires we put 300 stems per acre back on an acre. That's crazy, but that's the law. It's based on early two, you know, 1972 when people had trouble having, you know, planting 300 trees and having half of them die. They would die, right. right. So your yields are way and better and the regulations haven't changed based on what your new yields are. The regulation never goes backwards. That's yeah. Kind of so that, that's got to be really challenging. If you've got an 80-year arc that you need to manage and you're dealing with legislation that either moves glacially slow or moves with, you know, in without being informed, you know, making not, not informed management decisions, that will impact you guys big time. Correct. And it could possibly throw your road, your management roadmaps off big. Yeah, and in that you know we can't control that. We we mm. can we all we can do is contribute to the science and the example of what we're doing and showing that you know we're not putting dirt in the creek. We're the all the animals that are expected to be out there are out there. Mm. Um, the soils is not depleted. All the things that uh, a good farmer would do. And I and I think on that note of that whole you know hundred year plan, which really you'll you know if if listeners go on online and or talk with one of our biologists or foresters or you know crew members to know that. Um, we will actually have more large trees in our timberlands a hundred years um, from now than we do today. Wow. And I think that's, you know, will equate to close to three times the volume. It'll take a lot of time and All a right. lot of commitment and a lot of support from our, from these specialists. But I think that's a beautiful thing. And it really is one of the few renewable resources that, that we really want to Share that message. Yeah, no, that's a, proud of that's that. amazing numbers because I was just going to ask throwing the curve off or throwing your projections off. What you know, what happened with this drought that we just experienced? <clears throat> well, uh, South, you know, was hit harder than here. Uh, right, the, we did Southern California, right? Uh, yeah. Sonora and uh, Tuolumne County, especially, I think, had quite a bit of drought mortality. We did experience some here, most in a lower elevation. Um, little trees are probably a little more exposed to less water. And in the, the hot summers and the, the cycle, mm-hmm. so we we did take uh, some damage and had some mortality, but it wasn't that bad. Right now, uh, you know what we look at again is we're we're trying to control the stocking, like I mentioned, the thinnings we do. Mm-hmm. And I always when I when I talk to people about trees and how you space them out, I always say you get in an elevator with twenty five people, mm-hmm. and you're going to go a hundred stories up. It gets a little warm by the time you get there, <laughs> and everybody's breathing the own air, yeah. and everybody's kind of mm-hmm. struggling for the same resource. So these trees, as we 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 try to uh, let them give them the mo- best optimal spacing, so therefore they get more water and more you know more sunlight and grow faster. But it also works in the drought too, hmm. uh, and and you know the cycles of drought in California. I, was I mean, say it's almost one of those right. natural things. I mean, if we were right. to look back, yeah, you know, and they're here. The trees are here. They've always endured. been here. Yep. And yep. so they've adapted to that kind of regime. Sure. And the fires too, but. You know, when things get kind of weird, you know, like the extreme weather or mm-hmm. the fires, you know, mm-hmm. then, then it is a concern sometimes. So you know, knowing that trees, you know, last a long, long time, often longer than humans by decades, um, when you do a cross cut, can you look and see where the, the um, it, it's kind of like when you, you know, if you... Um, 
the rings like, in the tree like yeah a, and and see where if there were if there's evidence of of um drought in those rings yeah it, well you you have to know the the history of the stand you know i was doing this up with uh epic Butte meadows last weekend with some uh, a couple classes from chico state oh cool and and we were boring trees you don't have to come down to <laughs> see how old they are you can actually take almost like a bore just yep. peeking pull yep. out the the core and read it sometimes the trees were growing in a position underneath a more dominant tree and so that dominant tree was getting more of the resources, the food, nutrients, and in, in, in the water. So that thing might have showed suppression. And if you didn't know that other tree was there, you might say, ah, it must have been a period of drought there. Mm. So you have to have a little mm. bit of you know, forensics, right. I guess, to look and see what happened. But you can. I mean, there they are some histories in Sierra where a guy did a lot of work on fires, and you can see the – the fire regime, and of course, there's fire scars on trees too. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can, if you had a good record, you can correlate it all back. So, that, yeah one one thing that I learned on this podcast is that there's fish in a tree has one thing in common. They their scales do the same sort of thing that tree rings yes, do, exactly. which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. yeah they, cool. I think the the factors that make the it express are different, but it still does its thing. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. I've even heard of a title. Um, tidal waves being tracked in some of those redwood trees oh. over on the coast that those impacts of, you know, big, big tidal waves coming in. So I'm trying, there's tons of information that you can, you can definitely T- tap into. Yeah. Yeah. It's t- everything tells a story. Right. You just have to be able to identify it and know, you know, have some background. If you're fortunate enough to have records to look back at. Right. Photographic records, pretty awesome. You can see photos from the, the, the gold rush per se, and you can look at some of these mining areas just totally denuded. Go back to those camp yeah. now, and there's trees there, but on the soil, topsoil is not there anymore. But like I said, you know, something's going to grow there. I love yeah. seeing all those old, old uh, show, you know, pictures and videos of people running around on logs and the way the logging used to be done back it in is, the day. It was I just shake my head though. When I, <laughs> it's I don't it's know terrifying. I right? Yes. Well, and that's why, you know, safety is huge in our industry. And I think, um, you know, actually next week, um, and we'll be down here celebrating one of the greatest achievements, I think, of um, SPI, and that's at our Oroville Mill. Um, We're the first California sawmill to ever get um, Voluntary Protection Program Award from Cal OSHA. So for Cal OSHA to come in and and, uh, literally have a, a full award and ceremony for that you know, that mill and SPI safety practices, because it really is, it can be a very dangerous industry. And, um, but I know that support and safety, you know, for our crew members is always number one. Yeah. Like some of the equipment you guys run in the kind of, I would say the more gradient slopes of the, of the, the mountains are pretty impressive. I was, I, I hiked into, um, Deer Creek on Lower Deer Creek Falls to watch them put in this new fish ladder, mm-hmm, yeah. and they had one of the these. I don't even know what the heck it's called. It's like it looks like a spider. Like an it's like a spider. It's like yeah. a spider walker. Yeah, and it's got like chains on the feet and all kinds of crazy stuff. Can those things go basically up vertical, vertical, <laughs> like canyon walls and stuff? I don't know. <laughs> I, I know that uh, you know the design of the equipment has changed quite a bit, yeah. even in the past thirty. You know, even the past fifteen years. But, uh, uh, you know, they, they can do things safer. You know, they're, you know, environmentally enclosed cab, which sounds weird, 
A lot of the old logging equipment were open cabs, so yeah. you're getting stung by bees, dust all day. Splinters shot Well, at you. a limb can fly in, and, and that'd yeah. be the last thing you saw, too. Yeah, I, so, I shook trees in high school with, on just and prunes, and yeah. <laughs> so I, I can only imagine. <laughs> There's a little follow-up. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's still rated, I think, logging and mining the most dangerous jobs and professions. Mm-hmm. Now, foresters, you know, we're not usually around equipment. We, I don't, it's kind of a, we have two kind of stages of a project, the one where we get to walk around with our dog and look at things and mm-hmm. hang flags and do analysis. And mm-hmm. then there's the logging, which the dog stays in the truck and you wear a hard hat. <laughs> right. and you have to know where you are mm-hmm. and what they're doing to be in a safe place. Right. So when the falling happens. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, going back to the, the drought, you, you know, you're talking about Southern California being impacted more. You know, you drive up just here like an Almanor, you'll be going down like 89. You look over you, every once in a while, you see a completely dead tree. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and people, um, have told and I've heard stories about that being an impact from a beetle that's actually killing these things. And how much is it of the beetle versus the so the drought? chicken or is it the egg? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the, everything in the forest has many agents trying to yeah, right. shorten its life, right. you know, whether just weather, you know, right. wind blows them down, yeah. bugs, insects. Yeah. What comes first? The, uh, is it a, a, a disease that weakens it and the bugs, yeah. you know, they have this kind of uh, neat relationship where there's where a fire comes these bugs smell f- smoke, and that's their, that's how they come to the fire. It's almost like a homing device for mm-hmm. them. And so that's all part of nature's right. breaking that tree down to make it soil again. I mean, it's all a cycle. Sure. So sure. Uh, so yeah. So at any given time, even with a healthy forest, you have you could have a bug attack. You could have insects. Besides bugs, there's there's defoliators. There's a, a ton of them, and then there's there's uh, diseases they have. Um, more or less like host plant would cause it. It's pretty so, interesting. So for you it's know a, a lot of the a lot of the farming operations that goes on in the valley, they do put herbicides, pesticides on on the crops um, to ma- to manage. Right? Um, how wh- how is that stuff used um, within SPI's holdings and in, in on a, like an acre by acre basis? What is it? Is it often that the pes- pesticides herbicides are being used? Uh, what type are they? Uh, what's the perceived impact to the environment? Stuff like that. Well, we have uh, re- our reforestation specialist who works for me. They're basically the ones who do the site prep um, and the ones that plant the trees, the ones that do the pruning, the thinnings, and all that stuff. They, they're they licensed by the state to uh, go out and give recommendations. We don't, we don't use any kind of prophylactic type of stuff. We don't, you know, there's nothing we spray that would prevent a bug being on it. We don't do that kind oh, of stuff. Okay. So we strictly, what we try to do is we have an integrated forest management program where we will control the site, get the control of the site where we plant our young trees for a period of you know, one, two, three years, so that tree can get up above the brush, the grasses. Mm-hmm. And so we do use uh, herbicides to, you know, kind of sl- to give that tree a chance to get above the, the brush. So it's really beating back the stuff that's competing for resources right. around it. Yeah, and, when, right? and you can't, yeah, and it, stuff's expensive. And we have used license applicators to put it down. So the, the product is usually put around just around the tree and just to swiftly have that tree give it a better chance. You know, we've had uh, our botanists and our research team, you know, do lots of studies of our plantations before and after logging. And, and really, you know, there's a concept that oh, you, if you use the herbicide, there's nothing going to live out there. You're just going to have this pine stand with dug fur and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's more species after after herbicide applications, after this period of time when the, we call the trees free to grow, which are above the brush. There's more species of plants out there than before. And it's, again, a function of light. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in a stand of trees, you're only going to find – so many herbs and grasses and, and brush and flowers. 
And once the site's open and it's receptacle for planting the trees, everything else grows too. I mean, it kind of sounds like a fire out- yes. outcome in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. But without as much damage possibly. Yeah. So a lot of, um, I'm just, I just keep thinking I'm going down a dirt road, you know, I'm heading to a mountain stream and I go, you know, got my fly rod, I'm gonna go do some fishing. And, and a lot of them are open, right? You can get to Yellow Creek or you can get to certain, uh, tribs and, and rivers that you want to go fish but then there's a lot that are um locked up or have no access yellow gates yellow gates yeah. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that a safety thing what, what what's what's the protocol there yeah because let, let, i want to give them some more background on personally like i used to go down on the K, the k and f lines in view meadows and we used to be able to drive all the way down there and there were no gates and so i'm assuming these gates I left for a while. So they, they were installed at some point after I left. Hopefully nothing I did made that happen. But (laughs) um, yeah, so that, that's kind of like my own little tidbit into the yellow gate question. And I'm sure there's other anglers out there that are wondering as well. So I think, you know, the first, you know, piece of that is um, we're excited to share, you know, that with key, you today. Key. You brought us a golden key. <laughs> the, the key is that good fences and uh, gates make good neighbors. And the, <laughs> the story behind that being that um, we are stewards as, you know, the Emerson family are, you know, the largest private landowners mm-hmm. in California mm-hmm. and um, I think second in the U.S., um, is to ensure that our forest lands, our waters, our streams, um, are are robust and continual, and, and so it's yeah. it's protection. It really get is. off my but, land. But but <laughs> we're actually saying, come onto our land. Right, Just right. leave your motor uh, motorized vehicles at home. So gotcha. fly fishermen, this I I think we're speaking your language here because we want you yes. to hike in. We yes. you, a pedal bike, absolutely backpack in. Come every day, um, and I'll you know let Steve kind of share some of that history because okay, so it's it, the, the it's they're open it's private to you. property, but it's it's kind of like BLM kind of policy. We are all about recreational use, okay, with respect to mm-hmm. the land and the property, and so okay. you know I think there's a history he can share, but um, really. You are absolutely welcome, and it's on our SPI website. We will definitely be doing a feature, and so I, I'm hoping we'll see some light bulbs go off. Yeah, because I always because I'm I mean between the four of us and nobody else, um, <laughs> that I I go past those gates all the time. Not I, I walk in, but I just always had this anxiety as soon as I went through that no, permeable no. layer of, no. of property line. Like, we would eh, we walk up and here. and shake your hand and mm-hmm. okay, ask how the cool. fishing was. I, well, I've said that forever. You know, we they close rivers like fishing game will close a river, but I think you know sometimes having like the fishermen or whoever down in there, they're they're the stewards of the land, right? They're yeah. going to be there to to help whatever situation might you know i think poaching is what i'm thinking about if there's somebody down there that's right and i say we're um you know obviously we want that recreational use that's i mean all of the um emerson's red his son george and and his other son mark are all outdoorsmen Mm -hmm. you know fishing and hunting Mm -hmm. um obviously we want it you know uh encourage it being responsibly and legally but um well, and this this is a good opportunity because I think the problem with our policy and our which what people see the gates is we're not public service announcements aren't coming out we're not putting things in the paper and people misunderstand the gate concept mm-hmm. and it is is to keep a big four wheel drive 
come out there when it's pouring rain and and who totally ripping around. They rotate till our roads. They destroy. Yeah. And so, as for the fish, this, you know, for Cops. healthy streams, uh, like we mentioned before, our logging units. You know, I, I'm not going to say absolutely don't contribute sediment, but very minimally, if it, any at all. But the roads are the other issue here because the roads will cross streams. Sure. And so, like I said, I could uh, have a project where I'll do some maintenance on a road, put rolling dips in, things things to shed water in a natural space, roll them all along. And someone on one day could probably undo two, three weeks worth of work wow. and then cause whatever the duration of the rainstorm or if we don't get back there and find it and fix it, which you can't do in the middle of winter, it's too wet, mm-hmm. it'll contribute sediment into a, either a smaller stream, which brings it to the big stream. So... The history of the gates, you know, that, that's, mm-hmm. this, let's get through this a little bit. When I first got here in 1980 with Diamond, on their maps, they had, you know, camping spots that were designated. They had signs. Yeah, I still see them out there in the middle of nowhere sometimes. Tear it down. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so they, you know, they, they were part of the community and, you know, everybody kind of in, in the upper part of the ridge made their living in the woods. It was, you know, the industry had paid mm-hmm. everybody's bills and mm-hmm. fed a lot of people. So they were happy to provide that. I get here in 1980. Uh, I, I want to say this because this will be recorded. The coarsening of society, <laughs> people not really paying attention to um, the landowners' uh, property and tearing things up. And, and yeah. again, you know, wood theft, uh, yep. fires, cutting, cutting firewood, firewood uh, and poaching, and, and you know, yeah. illegal marijuana grows. You know, cartel comes in the property. So the gates are, are the last gasp to control. Activities that are not not helpful for the society or us, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> some of the permits we were talking about with the water quality, and we do this monitoring program under their general order. You know, we do the harvest plan. I have this permit. I have to do reports every year. We got to do inspections, and they see a, a motorcycle or, or tracks from a pickup wreck something. I Meaning, go up our one of our units and wreck all the water bars. Now water is coming down. Mm. It's on me. Yep. It's not on the. You know, unidentified person who had fun that day because, you know, it probably is fun. I never was into that kind of stuff, but it's a recreational thing for a lot sure. of people. Mm. So that's yeah, what but, we're trying to do. So basically yeah, it's the 1% that has ruined it for everybody else. Uh, which is sad. And, and you know, horseback riders, absolutely. You know, these are the lands that you really, they're absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. And they really are um, primarily undisturbed. So bird watchers, hikers, bow hunters, I mean, we want, you know, these lands, as we talked about earlier, um, to be here for generations. And so really, you know, we encourage that, um, you know, for you to bring your fishing rod in and have a phenomenal day. We may not, you know, give a thumbs up to a quad or a side-by-side razor, but, yeah. uh, but it's for good reason. And sure. it'll actually provide for a great fishing and, um, and great outdoors for decades. Yeah, it's anecdotal, but when I when I see a turkey hunter or a fisherman hiking down the road, I'll give him a ride, but he says, you know, I'm glad he did this because now I have a better experience. Uh, I don't have yeah. – uh, the road hunting is horrendous, you know, for deer, and it's, you know, it's it's an event, and it's not hunting. Right, right. And so, but a fisherman who, you know, who can walk in, and again, it's probably precluding very young and very old, and, and there's nothing I can do about that. But as I always tell her, there's a lot of things I can't do anymore that I like to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not that old, but things change as you get older, and you have to maybe find a place where you can drive. You to. go from stream fishing to lake fishing. There you so go. I keep telling Chad, <laughs> you better get have it you, in while you can. Have, yeah. you guys ever, have you guys ever considered maybe working with, say, like cow trout, Trout Unlimited to maybe give 
give members or some someone access to certain spots that are so remote that you can't actually walk to them in a single day? We have been uh, really approached or asked. You know, it, would I, you be receptive? Uh, I would possibly? say we will listen to all ideas and consider everything. Okay. But but logistically, sometimes that doesn't work out. Right. I'm 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 putting Limited. together a trip to go to look at a historical logging area in a couple of weeks, and the the folks in Butte Meadows they have the Jonesville mm. Butte Meadows Historic mm. Society, mm-hmm. and but their vision of the trip is a lot different than mine. They they, they want to leave the Bambi in in their razors with a six pack of beer and, and <laughs> drive that F line all the way out. They're, to the, they're big. Uh, those are big up there, man. I, I know I fish up there a lot and I get passed by them. Constantly. So, you know, my trip is an organized trip to talk about the history and, and, and you know, minimize the pickups and, and have everybody together so they don't get lost and mm-hmm. not have, you know, Mad Max going down the desert. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's what I, that's what they, well, if you guys are receptive to it, I probably know a few people in town that might be yeah. try, willing well, to try a pilot the, program possibly or something. And I think if anything, you know, that's one thing, um, you know, our community relations um, are phenomenal. And I think as, as Steve shared, you know, come to us and, you know, bring a great idea. If you've got, for instance, you know, time and look to see with universities, both here in Chico, mm-hmm. um, up in Oregon, um, all the way in South Carolina, we just did a huge Fisher project, um, you know, to ensure wildlife here. But we love those collaborations. And so if it could be, you know, a special event or a special weekend, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're always open then to like new like quarterly ideas. fish outs or something like that, yeah. you know, it would be awesome. Then you'll you'll fight for the best hole, and that's, that's the right. fishing hole. So that's yeah. the, the inequalities. That, I mean, that, that's one thing. It's it's been difficult for me, but my my opinion is, I I feel bad that I've you can't do that anymore. I wish you could, and I don't know how to pick a winner or loser. Mm-hmm. And since like you said, the one percent has done the damage that we're trying to protect ourselves from. Mm-hmm. And one one last thing that we didn't really talk about much, but you know we we're definitely afraid of fire. Oh gosh, yeah. And a and what fire? Afraid of fire? Oh, oh yeah. Right. And Campers, camping, right. or, or so cigarette, or whatever. Come out of exhaust, all that. Yeah, and it happens. So and fast. it happens a lot. Hunters, you know, are going. That's they start a lot of these fires that we see in the summertime. You know. Well, yeah. for example, I, I can't remember the name of the fire, but it was started by a target shooter. Uh, he, I think it was somewhere up in Calaveras area, mm-hmm. and we used to allow people to you know sight in their rifle mm. or do a little bit of target shooting. We decided that is not allowed. You know, it's it, it's not against the law, but we don't right. want it to I happen. I mean, it's your crop. You know, it's like it's analogous to if I've got a hundred acres of rice and somebody smokes and throws a, a you know their right. match into it and lights it all on fire and burns it down to the stump. Yeah, right. And I always it's try like, to you know even in you know talking with Steve about the history you know of this region and and the gates that were there back to Diamond and even Roseburg before it was SPI land. Um, but I think about it, you know, if it were my 100, 100 acres, like you said, up in the woods, would I want, right. would I have a fence around my 100 acres? <laughs> you bet your boots, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I would have an open door for anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do see the beauty in encouraging, you know, outdoorsmen and women right. to come up and enjoy it. Um, and it's just good PR, too. Yeah. You know. Right. Why'd you say if, it like that? If you're if you're up know. there and you uh, and you have a phenomenal catch, and Chad gets the fish. Please, it's good PR. Yeah, please post your photos of your killer catch of the day and share um, 
share with us. Do you have anything else you want to share with us as far as that some topics maybe we didn't cover or well, stories? We, I, we, we do, I do want to talk about the yellow frogs. Or stories oh. that you have of... I guess no, I, I want to. I want to hear more. I think, yeah, I'm. Destructive I just had stories. So one that. or one or two, just um, you know, uh, additional points. And I think the um, we touched on them a little earlier, but the um, commitment of the Emerson family and Sierra Pacific Industries to the communities in which we have, you know, operations and families in all of these rural communities. Um, and that is through the foundation. So that's also a part of um, my role as a community relations manager is to work with the local nonprofits, organizations, schools, and all of the 10 counties. Um, and so we get the ability to partner with them on, you know, um, fundraising events, special projects, building playgrounds, um, medical facilities. I mean, it's incredible um, each day incredible. to hear and see the projects that walk through the door and um, the way Sierra Pacific partners with those through sponsorships and and um, contributions, whether it's in kind to help support some of these local rodeos, for instance. <laughs> we just had the Red Bluff Roundup Red, yep, yep. Um, that we support um, uh, annually. And so that's another piece I think um, that we just really enjoy those partnerships and and we want our communications you know um, to just to be clear and uh, demonstrate yeah. our um, investment in the community very cool you want yellow frogs you want to mm -hmm. rip it yeah <laughs> we, we just we had uh, we just talked to three biologists from the Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, the other day and the whole thing was about high lakes basically high lakes fisheries and um the sierra nevada yellow legged frog came up um they were put on the endangered species list i think in 2010 does that sound right yeah they might have been they might have been nominated as a as a candidate species then and then i think and it just happened last year that's actually. right yes thank you um so i wanted to understand like what the impact of that decision to list those on the, on the the list is has been to the SPI's business. Like what what do you guys have to do different? Um, associated costs in each any changed operations. Well, it, just like with every new animal that has becomes more concerned about their habitat or their mm -hmm. life cycles and what we do may may affect them. That we we have a biology staff, and so their task with. Uh, surveys, you know, we've done surveys for bats. You know, we do spotted owl surveys. We monitor fisher activity and frogs. We've been watching frogs for probably about 15 years. But it's, uh, it's uh, when we do a, say, for example, we're going to do a, a harvest plan and we have some crossings. You know, we'll have to look at the spot where, we, where mm -hmm. we're going to make, you know, we're going to actually disturb the channel there. You have to get right. into the bed and bank. Yeah. And so we get another special permit. I can tell you there's ex there's other permits besides the harvest plant. There's, there's tons. It's like a Russian troika doll where you have a permit within a permit <laughs> oh, within a permit. Oh, yeah. It, quite fancy. It, the flowchart is incredible. The managing of the, <laughs> of the documents and the reports. Not what I signed up for, but that's what I do. I mm -hmm. thought I was going to. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, it is. No, it is. It's a, It gives us a path and a, and a way to check what we're doing. So, mm -hmm. so we will have... Uh, it hasn't been all hammered out. We're still, even with the agency, when they, they, they something like this happens, an animal comes on, they have no clear direction for us of what they really want us to do. So they're trying to figure out a management plan themselves. Right. I mean, but why I mentioned why we've been looking at frogs and doing surveys for a while, because one of the, the neat things I found when I went to work for SBI, we're not reactive. 
we go and think about what the possible things are, like you mentioned, coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. And we'll get more information than the agencies have. We'll have no more about what's on our property than they do. And that's, that's appropriate. Good, yeah. And that's smart. Right. Smart business too. Right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Got your, got your frog in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, Chad, when you, do, when you get on the creek, how's the fishing? What's that? When you get on Butte Creek, how is your how's your it, fishing experience? It depends on where you're at, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I'll say about Uh-oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh Okay, so we we talked about the road system. Um, there was one more listener question that we didn't we didn't cover, and I and I thought it was actually a really really cool one. So with the um you know with the computer revolution that happened in the early '80s and continues to happen, you know, innovation. Um, it's taking there's less of a role for say paper in, in day to day society. In a lot of ways, there's, there's things to go either. We're moving away from paper in in the office setting. There's just, people are doing more recycling. Um, They're going green. Yeah. Yeah. Even we're so scratching how, on paper right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. There's something. I understand there's the something. concept. Never seen it practiced. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what, have you guys noticed any kind of blips on the radar from a, you know, revenue perspective and you, could you directly attribute it to any kind of the, you know, recycling or going green? Well, we've always recycled, like yeah. we mentioned before, everything of the mills use, but we've, we're not really involved in paper production. Um, that's a different process. Oh, okay. Pulp. We, we, Building which, homes. Right. Structural lumber and, mm-hmm. and mill work. Windows, door, okay. beautiful doors. doors. Well, yeah. that, but no. But that is something, you know, um, I think you'll see, you know, if you go out to the um, to our website or, you know, stop by any of our district offices or talk with any of our amazing foresters is, you know, that um, the sustainability piece. So, you know, yes, we, I think with our co-generations and mm-hmm. literally n- there is no waste, you know, the... Um, like he said, the limbs may fall. We'll leave them um, in certain places and levels. Um, we'll, you know, work hard to ensure that that we're not leaving, you know, big traces of um, of, of your footprint. Of, uh, yeah, overall the footprint, footprint, really. But not every you know, piece of that tree is really, is going to great use. I mean, mm-hmm. you talk shavings and bark for playgrounds and mm-hmm. rodeos and, <laughs> and ag programs. Um, and so it really is incredible once, you know, you sit in the seat and kind of learn and see the different uh, ways, um, you know, that we can utilize our, our renewable resource. Yeah. I'll interject there again for talking about carbon footprint kind of thing. That mm-hmm. uh, there you go. one of the analysis that we do in our harvest plan is, you know, what's stored carbons in the tree? How much carbon are you going to use harvesting the tree? So the the diesel and the fuel to cut the tree down, to get it to the landing, to put it on a truck, to get it to the mill, to manufacture into a board. There's there's a carbon cost there. And then we the next part of the analysis, we put a tree in the ground and grow that. And usually within 10 to 14 years, we've actually stored that carbon we used to harvest it. Now we got another sixty-five years of storing carbon. So basically, that harvest there's a future offset. Yes, for that, that and, carbon yep. and money unit, that, that's that involved in with that back. carbon, right? We're that's involved awesome. in that. The carbon purchase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't understand that very well, but I know a lot of um, conservationists and you know companies like that will will focus on that, and the attorneys well, are use it to 
for payment, and I don't know how that that works. Yeah, I'm not an expert, but we well, we we're involved in several uh, carbon projects with the California Re- Resource Board, where uh-huh. we yes. promise you know how much carbon we're you know project what we're going to store over the life of a stand. Gotcha. So, and it's a it's a neat thing because one of the, the things they don't the current accounting, which is probably developed in Europe, I think, and how they do all this. They don't stand. They don't count that two by four that gets put in a house. You know, they assume it's it's in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so even without that misunderstanding, because you know they get stored for a long time, a piece of wood does. Right. Uh, that we still we 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 store you know hundreds of thousands of units of carbon. Each you know it takes a little time. Like all forestry, you have to have patience. Uh, sure. When I, was, when I was talking to those Chico State students, I said if you have that phone and you need to be tied to it, this isn't a job for you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and it's a lot of dead zones. And even though, <laughs> but that's a beautiful thing. I think that's yeah. a, I find that as a perk. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. one of the reasons I'm drawn to fly fishing. Totally yeah. unplugged. Yeah. But you I mean, know, I love my phone. So this is a long term, like we mentioned before, the cycles are, you know, 80 to 100 years. And, and, but each project, even through my short period of time, I've been working in this part of the woods, you, you see results. You know, I, I had the opportunity to, uh, we call a commercial thin on a plantation that I helped plant back in 1980, and that was two years ago. So that those were 36-year-old trees. They've already been pre-commercially thin, and then we grow them to a merchantable piece, and we take some more out. But I got to see trees I planted actually That's get so on the cool. truck. That's so cool. Isn't yeah. that phenomenal? And, that, and, and that'll probably be another intermediate uh, harvest in between before that 100 years. So there's constant in growth. It's just... It's like fatherhood. Yeah. Your father. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it's a cool. Forest. Every forester wants to retire, have hundred acres, and do you know Christmas trees and harvest a little bit, and yeah, you know, it's kind of the dream. That's really cool. When so when you Steve, when you think about it, when you think about a, a forest, do you think about it on a macro level or more of a micro level when it comes to management of it? Well, I mean both. I mean, I, I get I look at site specific projects, mm-hmm. but then I look at the overall picture, and, and I think that. The probably the reason I'm good at that is because I've been here long enough. I, a lot of people say, "Well, you're stuck in a rut." And I go, "It's the best rut I've ever been in." <laughs> and then, and then a lot of opportunities to see mistakes, uh, mm-hmm. see things that work, and uh, overall convince myself, "Yeah, this is this is works." You know, it's a concept like everything you learn in school. Mm-hmm. You know, the classic forestry is German. You know, Europe denuded itself for fuel. You know, and but they have forests there still too. And so, uh, you know, growing, the renewable thing, it is a unique profession. Farmers, like you said, the farmer is the closest you can, you know, compare it to. But this is a big, besides just growing trees, you know, we talk about the water, the fish, the animals, the soil, the air. There's all these other parts. Yeah. And, we, and, and our activities could be negatively impacting them or, you know, keeping them status or even better, you know. so. And you learn from those yeah. mistakes and whatever you're doing and... Oh yeah. Yep. I mean, there's there's tree farmers in this area that can that can relate, I, I believe. But you guys are operating with a lot more constraints than say someone that just basically owns their land, lock, stock, and barrel, and doesn't have any, you know, public access needs to worry about or anything like that, or agencies looking over their shoulder every two two seconds. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um. So you you had a question about the grants, right? Oh well, the, yeah. You mentioned rodeos earlier. I was just yeah, curious of they're doing know, quite a bit. What other? That. Yeah. What else? That was cool. Sure. So, um, you know, this um, I should say branch of Sierra Pacific, um, which is our foundation. So, the Sierra Pacific Foundation was actually um, established by Red's father, Curly. Um, I like in, that name. 
Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I was really going to make a Three Stooges thing, but <laughs> oh, I was like, no, you no, know how to respect. No, I don't want to say anything. Because he was, yeah, phenomenal, right. phenomenal. Um, I wish I could have him on this podcast and telling some stories of how things used to be, right? Your jaws would drop. I mean, just an <laughs> yeah. incredible person. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but uh, so Foundation, you know, um, began in 1979. So we're, you know, getting close to uh, 40 years next year. Um, but really the foundation is, um, was funded, um, by Curly started and continues to be funded by the Emersons. And it is really that give back and community contribution, um, arm of, of, of who they are. So on, uh, an annual basis, just this last year, um, the foundation gave over, um, $1.7 million dollars to the local nonprofits, schools, and organizations where we have um, Timberland as well as operations. So if you're, you know, Anderson, Shasta Lake City, Red Bluff, Richfield, um, even up in Wisconsin where we have some doors and windows, um, each month we, you know, receive requests um, for different programs. And um, it might be facilities. I know recently um, the family... Um, Red supported a uh, medical facility over in Eureka in honor of his wife, Ida, who passed away um, from cancer, um, but to assist families in that community to have wow. care nearby and in their town. And so um, I get chills because mm-hmm. that, uh, that the foundation really um, speaks to, I think, the foundation of the company. And so um, local organizations really are our partners in the community. That's where we work. That's where we live. Uh, we want to encourage, um, higher education as well. And, um, so scholarships, scholarships are another big, big piece, um, for our crew members. And so the, um, Emerson's, uh, on an annual basis, um, we have a full scholarship committee, but for crew members, children, um, they go through an application and process, um, but $680,000 went to crew members' children this last year for them to either enter into college or, you know, it can be renewable through their college uh, This makes me want to come work for Red. Uh, We're hiring. (laughs) We are are hiring, and that was one piece I would would love to impart is, um, I mean, Steve, I think, can he's been here a heck of a lot longer than I have, but Mm -hmm. um, it is by far the best organization I've ever worked for, and that family... Anybody's listening and wants to get a job, where do they go on your website? Correct. <laughs> yeah, please do um, reach out. Um, and as well, you can check out the recreational access about, you know, kind of some of the areas we talked about today. That's on your website? It is. Yeah. Um, and so it's www.spi-ind.com. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, um, which is actually, you know, um, been booming lately because of all <laughs> right. the great, you know, local projects as well mm-hmm. as um, a lot of the career opportunities. So do you guys have an Instagram set up? I believe we do. Yeah. Um, we don't have as many followers there, but, right. um, but that will grow. I think so. It, just like the trees. Yeah. Um, because that <laughs> really is. Faster, uh, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. A little faster. Than 80 the, years we should be yeah. big. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that really is kind of our, um, you know, our, our goal and our vision is, uh, you know, growing forests for our future. Yeah. And that is going to take, you know, um, up and comers and we need biologists and we need foresters and we need wildlife specialists and, and mill work. So come our way. Fly fishermen. 
biologists. <laughs> we, we have two yeah. force patrolmen, and that's a. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. yeah. Like, so are they kind of like cops? You know, again, and when I started in 1980, we went by the campgrounds. The force patrol guy would say, "Hey, how long, how many days you been here? You know, you're only supposed to stay seven days." Mm-hmm. And be retired mill guy usually, and, mm-hmm. and it's transitioned again. Like I mentioned, kind of the coursing of some of the people we encounter in the woods to retired law enforcement, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Now, not unfortunate for the guys. They're great guys, but it's... But it's, it's required for what a, you might come across. You, yeah. you have to understand when to disengage. Yeah. And, uh, and you That's know, it's... Safety. Yeah, safety thing again. I, was gonna, I forgot to ask about, um, what's the word? Maverick weed grows on your property. You guys run into that a lot? Every year. Um, and... and Chico Creek and Butte Creek, all the major creeks, uh, even Trinity, though the gates Trinity are there, County. the individuals who choose to use our property to grow uh, work hard. <laughs> They'll hike in many miles and, and set up their camps, and it's usually cartel grows, and they're dangerous. Whoa. And there's a lot of trash. They mess ter- up the land. And it really is ugly up, chemicals. And it dumps into the land and the water, and so then, you know, our... Uh, crew members out there that are, you know, going out to clean up after and pick up these messes. Um, well, I'm, I'm hoping my, my hope is that, you know, with the, with the legalization stuff that there's not going to be an economic incentive for people to hike in all 50 states places like this. There's right. still a black market. It's, and yeah. Right. And, and we did an episode around this and that was the point that was made is it's got to be all 50 states because there's always going to be a mark there. If there's always a, if there's a buyer in one state, there's going to be it's people that grow demand. it. I feel like I've seen the impact on those streams just visually growing up as a kid. I mean, just so much more, just grass growing in the creek and just, I don't know if it's from nitrogen being pumped mm-hmm. into it or they just, I don't feel like they're as healthy as, and I don't know if that's again, back going back to the drought or those, you know, focusing on those different grow ops, but, um, you know, they they impact the water. You know, the, the, uh, plant loves water. It uses a lot of water. Yeah. And the small, usually they'll tap into a, they won't tap into Butte or Butte Creek or Chico Creek, but a feeder stream. Like a small stream, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and it's, uh, which that in itself will have a huge impact. Oh, sure. On, yeah. Right. It's the food mm-hmm. chain problem. I, they, you know, yeah. they'll poison the rats or the other animals may eat their crop and then that something else eats yeah. that. And it, for example, when we had the Fisher, ongoing Fisher project where we re induced the Pacific Fisher on our property here, we caught them every fall and did, uh, that would do a workup on them and they were finding traces of uh, rodenticide in the live ones and then the dead ones, you know, toxic levels. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're eating something that had ingested that. So there's, it's very difficult to put a handle on that and control that. Um, oh, deep sigh. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's not good. But that is an extremely successful project. Oh, the Fisher and, Project, yeah. yeah. And we're looking forward to um, that release. So I know we were just up a couple of weeks ago um, filming and brought back the whole team and from all of our partner agencies and did our wrap-up interview. So keep an eye out for uh, for that. Uh, that a little short video? Uh, yep, short video. It won't be a podcast, mm-hmm. but videos better. Uh, yeah, a cool. lot of uh, cool. lot of amazing things happening. Well... Thank you. Well, yeah, no, it was all good stuff. Thank you guys for coming in and and talking with us. I've learned a ton and we really appreciate your time and help educating all our listeners, kind of what's going on out there because I don't think a lot of people know. Well, you know, again, most of the guys who work on our staff, you know, they're not 
PR people, but they're very proud of their work. And yeah. mm-hmm. if you ever see, you know, talk to a forester, they're they're very well, you know, welcoming, and will tell you about what they're doing. And mm-hmm. it, but it's you know, that's person by person. This yeah. this format here, uh, I think, was a good thing. Too. You know, we're we're actually seeing the same thing with the government agencies, the folks that we bring in on the government side, uh, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, NOAA. Um, they're de- as an organization, they don't do a good job with PR, but the individuals that come in are very passionate solid. about, mm-hmm. about what they're doing. Yeah. And proud. And that's, you know, where we're at. It's, you know, truly been a, a privilege to come on and, um, share with you all. And, um, definitely we're open to questions. Would love to, to hear from listeners. Um, hopefully we can, um, you know, reach a great audience of fishermen and women out there and hopefully yeah. we'll bump into you out on the, the beautiful streams. Okay, cool. Thanks for I'll coming like out. All right. All right. Thanks Thank guys. You. That's it. What is this where I say cue music, <laughs> cue outro? <laughs> Sounds good. Do you want to hum it first or should it just start? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's it sound like? Just like that. This podcast would not be possible without support from our sponsors, FishBio and Amp.Build. FishBio is a consulting firm that offers a fresh approach to fishery science. They specialize in fish research, monitoring, and conservation with innovative uses of technology and communication. From their offices in Chico, Oakdale, and Santa Cruz, California, to Vienchen, Laos, FishBio is committed to solving natural resource challenges locally and globally. Learn more at www.fishbio.com. And AMP.Build. AMP is a software design and engineering shop located in Chico, California. AMP creates beautiful apps for mobile and desktop devices, wearables, and the Internet of Things. AMP develops native, web, and hybrid apps on a variety of platforms. Chad, who co-hosts this podcast, is the agency's founder. Learn more at www.amp.build.